Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast special Tuesday feature called Hermeneutics Tuesdays. Yes, that's Tuesdays with an H, where we are seeking to become better interpreters of the Bible one 10-minute episode at a time. I'm your host, April Spears. Let's learn stuff together. We're continuing our series on the hermeneutical principles laid out in the book Wisdom for Faithful Reading by Old Testament scholar John Walton. The principle we're focusing on today is reading the Bible instinctively is not reliable and risks imposing a foreign perspective on the text. Now, I have a hunch that if you've been tuning into these Hermeneutic Tuesday episodes for a while, this principle seems pretty obvious. If it's true that a passage can't mean what it never meant to the original author and that the Bible was not originally written to us, but rather to a people in a different culture who spoke a different language, it naturally follows that our personal intuitions aren't going to cut it when it comes to seeking a faithful interpretation of the text, which is one that reflects the author's intent. Walton puts it this way, our instincts are unavoidably modern. And therefore, our search for relevance and meaning will inevitably reflect our context. It is true that since the message of the Bible is for us, we eventually want to understand its relevance in our modern context. The problem is that if we proceed directly to that question without first interrogating the text as to its meaning in its original context, we run the risk of imposing ideas on the text that are foreign to it and thereby missing or at least distorting the message that was there, end quote. Now, we recently did an entire series where we worked through the book Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by Randy Richards and Brandon O'Brien. That series, which you can go back and listen to if you didn't catch it the first time around, it explored this problem at length. So I'm not going to belabor the point here. What I want to talk about is the most common attempt to avoid imposing a foreign perspective on the text, which is committing to a literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, if you were raised in a conservative evangelical faith tradition, then you know how obsessed Christians who love the Bible can get about taking it literally. As long as we take the Bible at face value, committing to a plain reading of the text, then we rid ourselves of the tendency to make the Bible say what we want it to say. Or at least that's the claim. Now, given how much John Walton pushes back against some of the most common ways of reading the Bible, it might surprise you to hear that he too is committed to reading the Bible literally. But, and this is a big but, his definition of a literal reading of the text is vastly different than the definition held by your run-of-the-mill fundamentalist preacher. <laughs> Here are some of Walton's comments on taking the Bible literally. You'll see what I mean. One of the most important elements in literal reading is that we should be careful to read a text in light of its genre and rhetorical devices. When we claim to read the Bible literally, we are not claiming that it contains no rhetorical devices or figurative genres. Literal reading reflects a commitment to read the text as the author intended for it to be read. 
Literal reading means tracking with the author in every possible way. End quote. Now, what this means is that if the author intended to convey truth through symbols and word pictures in the form of poetry, a literal reading of the text would require us to take what the author communicates metaphorically. Furthermore, we would have to do some research to understand how those metaphors worked in the ancient context because it's probably very different from how they work in our modern context. In other words, a commitment to a literal reading of the text demands an acute awareness of what literary styles and rhetorical devices the author used and how those styles and devices worked back then. Otherwise, we end up with an overly rigid, wooden interpretation that potentially misses the point the author was seeking to convey entirely. Let's work this out with an example from the book of Revelation. All right, so the entire book of Revelation is Jewish apocalyptic literature, which relies heavily on symbols and word pictures to convey truth. The best modern equivalent to Jewish apocalyptic literature is a political cartoon. It's not uncommon to see a donkey or an elephant personified in some way in a political cartoon. Now, when we see the image of a donkey dressed up in a business suit, drinking a cup of coffee, we don't think for one second that somewhere in the world there is a donkey doing that. And if the artist depicts the president with exaggerated features, we don't assume that he contracted some kind of illness that caused a sudden onset of ear or nose growth. When we interpret political cartoons, we take the art form into account. We know that what we're looking at relies almost entirely on symbols and metaphor to convey various perspectives on reality. Taking a political cartoon literally means accounting for the genre the artist has employed. And we do this without even thinking. Unfortunately, we often fail to employ that same kind of awareness when we read the Bible, especially when we read apocalyptic passages. So with that in mind, I want to home in on Revelation 21, 1 and 2. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. I noticed that a whole city is basically dropping out of the sky, and that it's depicted as a bride. So right away, it's incredibly obvious that the author is conveying truth in the form of symbols and metaphor. Taking this passage literally, according to Walton's definition, is going to require us to both acknowledge and respect how the author chose to communicate his message. What we've got here are a bunch of word pictures. Now, the part of the verses I want to focus on is the phrase, and the sea was no more. Growing up, I thought that heaven was way up in the sky somewhere, so the absence of a sea didn't seem all that strange. But as I came to better understand God's plan to fully redeem the entire cosmos and that heaven, the eternal state, will be here on a fully restored earth, the no sea thing became a sticking point. I don't know about you, but I happen to think that the places where oceans or giant lakes meet land are among the most beautiful places on the planet. And watching the sun rise or set over the sea is among life's greatest, most awe-inspiring pleasures. 
What do you mean that there will be no sea in the new earth? Hold on while I go and have a good cry. Well, I have good news. Taking this literally and the way Walton defines the term means not taking this literally at all. (laughs) To understand what John's doing here, you have to go back to Genesis 1. Verses 1 and 2 read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Uh, This is the biblical author's way of describing the pre-creation state, what we might think of as nothingness. The image here is the deep, deep waters of the deepest seas, which in the ancient Near East represented chaos, disorder, and instability, the complete opposite of creation. This idea of the sea representing decreation gets echoed throughout the whole Bible. Again and again, the sea stands for that which is chaotic and deadly, that which seeks to undo the order that God has established. This is why if you take a look at ancient Israelite history, you'll notice they were never a seafaring people. They let the surrounding nations take to the high seas. They mostly stuck to the land and had a theological reason for doing so. All that to say, we're totally missing the point if we're wondering if there will be beaches in heaven. When John says, and the sea was no more, he's saying that which is most threatening and dangerous That which works against the flourishing of God's creatures is no more. Now for us in our day, that's not the sea. It's things like nuclear weapons, cybersecurity threats, natural disasters, AI, etc. People in every generation have had their own things that represent large-scale disorder, death, and decreation. Whatever those things are, whatever form they take, The message conveyed in Revelation 21 is that they won't be in the new creation. Now, according to Walton's definition, I haven't failed to take the Bible literally just now. Rather, I've simply accounted for how the author chose to present the truth that God will indeed make all things new. All right, at this point, I'm going to interject my personal opinion. While I love how Walton defines literal interpretation as accounting for literary genre and rhetorical devices and respecting the author's intent, I don't think I've ever met a regular, just, you know, normal Christian, not a scholar, not an academic, just a a regular Christian who, who thinks of it that way. Most people think of a literal reading quite literally, as in there's not a lot of effort to uncover the author's intent. Instead, the words of scripture are simply taken at face value. No see means no see. A thousand years means a thousand years. The six days of Genesis 1 means the universe came to be what it is in six days. Examples of this kind of wooden literalism abound. I personally think the concept of taking the Bible literally is beyond redemption. I just don't think it's a helpful concept in light of the severe hermeneutical negligence of so many who claim a fierce commitment to literal interpretation. I think the idea of reading the Bible literarily, see what I did there? Not literally, 
literarily better reflects the importance of taking genre, literary devices, and the author's intent into account. I think it better reflects the kind of interpretation we're after, which is definitely not a rigid face value reading. That kind of reading relies heavily on our own modern intuitions, which we've already noted at the very beginning rarely leads to a faithful interpretation of a passage. To summarize, it's not a good idea to rely on our own instincts as we are seeking to understand what a passage means. Furthermore, adhering to a base value, literal reading of the text isn't always the safeguard against misinterpreting the Bible that we think it is. Learning more about Bible genres and referencing some commentaries or cultural backgrounds or resources will go a long way in helping us read the Bible literarily and arrive at the faithful interpretation we're after. All right, so the next couple of sections of Walton's book get quite a bit technical. They kind of get into the weeds of Bible interpretation, and I'm not quite sure whether or not I want us to go there. So one thing I wrestle with in making these segments is that tension between wanting to educate people on how to read the Bible better, but also never wanting to make anyone feel like there's something wrong with just sitting down and reading your Bible. <laughs> like, like there, in one sense, I want to complicate it. And in another sense, I don't want to complicate it. So I'm a little stuck uh, with this next section. I think it might be a little much, honestly. So I can't tell you exactly what we will be covering next week. It'll be a nice little surprise for both of us. <laughs> Sounds fun. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Just a reminder, if you ever want the transcripts of these episodes, you can get that on my Substack, which is aprilswears.substack.com. My name is spelled a little weird. It's A-P-R-I-L-E-S-W-E-E-R-S.substack.com. Those transcripts are all available for free. Of course, if you'd like to support this work, keep it going, you can become a paid subscriber for just $5 a month. You can cancel anytime. It's a great way to support this ministry. And I am super thankful for those of you who have already become paid subscribers. All right, you guys, I will see you next time. Bye.